This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bors and Kate Andrews. So the government in Westminster is set up for a battle with the government in Hollywood. Katie, tell us about the constitutional and philosophical battle that is coming up uh, this this week, which has started last night. So as we've discussed previously on the podcast, what the government was mulling over was uh, making an order under Section 35 of the Scotland Act to stop this gender reform legislation passing, which was voted on by the Scottish Parliament, which makes gender self-ID much easier and also reduces the age. The government confirmed yesterday, Alistair Jack, in the evening, that he would be doing this. Later today, Alistair Jack will speak in the House, where he'll lay out exactly why he thinks that what the SNP bill proposes clashes with the Equality Act, which is the grounds for doing this. But I think what's quite interesting is... um, there's lots of ways of looking at those battles because there's different aspects to it. So one is, of course, what this means uh, in terms of constitutional matters, the power of the Scottish Parliament. And there's also, of course, the trans issue element, which is it's saying this is a cultural move from the government. In the statement Alistair Jack put out, it was very much leaning into this is a constitutional issue. This does not work for the Equality Act. With some changes and amendments in the Scottish Parliament, this could actually get royal assent if it is, you know, if it is uh, amended and resubmitted. And speaking to Scottish Tory MPs, they are very keen to say they don't want this to play into the cultural side of it and instead to see it as if it doesn't meet the test in the sense it's going to compromise uh, potentially women's spaces, which is one of the concerns. Another thing people talk about is transgender tourism in terms of mm. you know having a certificate that works in one place and not the other. But we'll hear more on what the legal device has actually decided later today. It's all to do with that. And I had one Tory MP, for example, say to me, and this was there for, you know, Kemi Badenot needs to go in a cupboard and someone needs to close the door because they don't want it to be right. that side of it. We should be out um, of the country this week. So. We should be in Davos, which I suppose... <laughs> Maybe a, no need for a, a very lux- key. <laughs> I would say it's a very luxurious cupboard if, if we're thinking around that Beautiful. level. Now, I would say there are others who actually, you know, there are some Tory MPs who have been saying... Why aren't we saying more about standing up for women's biology and leaning into that side and getting more involved in terms of what the actual policy of this? But I think so far from the government response and also at I think that you can see they're leaning much more to using Alistair Jack, um, the Scottish Secretary, who'd be the one who'd have to issue this. But also I think that's partly because of the concerns of Scottish Tory MPs, whereby I think this does have the broad support of the Tory party. You've had a few MPs on the left of the party raising some alarm, but relatively minor number but there is a worry amongst the unionists that if the government goes too hard on this mm. um you could actually you know this act has not been particularly popular in scotland if you look at the polling but if it looks as though westminster's you know sticking its oar in too hard or getting involved in the policy details or the matters they worry that perhaps some of that the soft union vote could actually turn against them which is something i think we're going to be seeing in some of the phrasing And that's something that Fraser Nelson has previously been concerned about on this podcast. But of course, this legislation is quite radical. I mean, it would allow people who want to self-identify as another gender to only live in that gender for three months down from the previously two years. And it also allowed 16-year-olds to self-identify as a different gender. And Kate, there were concerns that Rishi Sunak may not 
block this legis- legislation because people thought he might just not be radical enough that he wouldn't be enthusiastic about wading into something like this. So is it a surprise that he has taken this option? He's not the type of prime minister that is going to feel terribly comfortable leaning into the culture wars, and he never has been. It's not something that he's ever been desperate to talk about, say, in the leadership campaign or during his time as chancellor. It's never really a debate he wanted to have. And I suspect that Alistair Jack's statement last night was mostly genuine in the point that they are concerned about how this clashes with the Equalities Acts because the truth is that this gender recognition reform bill, I mean, it's not just controversial. I think there are strong arguments that it's poor legislation and the questions around this gender recognition certificate and how easy it would be under this new legislation to get it and what that legal status is, which has always been a bit murky, does raise big questions in a country that, in the United Kingdom, that is frankly so centralized that how this impacts on other parts of the UK, I think, is a legitimate question to ask. So in that sense, it's not terribly surprising, but it's going to be a difficult area for both parties to navigate because, as Katie just so eloquently put, it's it's going to be really tough for Westminster to make this look like this is really about the Equalities Act and questions around women's safety as opposed to an independence question mm-hmm. and where the power is really held. But then, of course, for Nicola Sturgeon, this isn't the most popular topic to, to go head-to-head with on Westminster. And there are a lot of questions in Scotland about this gender recognition reform. So I think for both parties, there are a lot of landmines. It's a very delicate subject to begin with and then adding such a high level of politics to it and drafting the order for section 35 you know it really heightens the mood it heightens tension and it it, it does so around a topic that's already actually really quite difficult and delicate to discuss and I think all the current indications suggest that this is heading to court. Um, so you look at Nicola Sturgeon's statement where she, I think, as expected, you know, said that this was outrageous behaviour by the UK government, um, so they're denying the will of the, of the Scots. She said that they would defend the legislation as they needed to. So again, another thing we're waiting to hear is confirmation from the Scottish government on this. But I think the indication is that there could be a judicial review in the Supreme Court, and therefore we're heading to yet another <laughs> constitutional clash playing out in the courts involving the Scottish government if you think back to the recent one on whether uh, the Scottish government had the power to call a referendum now in that instance and I think in this one too if you look at some at least some of the legal opinions out there I'm not sure the SNP are expecting to, to win but of course you can weaponize and politically also make the point you know again this is a voice being ignored and you can expect it to play back into the independence debate Katie, where does all of this leave Labour as well? Because Scottish Labour voted for this bill, but Keir Starmer indicated on the weekend that he doesn't actually think 16-year-olds should be able to make this decision. Well, I think as can tend to be the case quite regularly, (laughs) Keir Starmer's position is unclear. And we've had a situation whereby, if you look, so there was a Telegraph article a few weeks ago when this was, I think it was after the initial statement from Alistair Jack saying they're considering a Section 35, saying Keir Starmer had actually endorsed this policy of gender ID, self-ID for the whole of the UK. But I think when you actually went into the details of the articles referencing something he said about a year before. But if you think back to, you know, things Keir Starmer said during the Labour leadership campaign... And in the short time after, it's very different than the things he says now. He's gone back on so many of those pledges. Just this weekend, uh, he was talking about some of the things he's gone back on. You think about also about using working with the private sector and the NHS. That's something mm. he was saying the opposite of back then. So, I, so yes, we can point out the U-turns, but it means we can't take that much weight from things he said a while ago. And of course, that's also a question for 
things now in the future perhaps yeah. um, but <laughs> there was, uh, where they go, nobody knows <laughs> um, but there was an indication she said over the weekend that Keir Starmer was saying he could he did have some concerns over the age so that's the idea that you could change at 16 and therefore there I think there was um, an implication at least that he could back Rishi Sunak on it and certainly some people thought that it gave the uh, UK government some cover to go up against some the SNP on this I think what's tricky for Keir Starmer is Scottish Labour the MSPs voted for it and therefore as soon as he made those comments you were hearing some discontent from parts of the Labour Party over it so we haven't had anything formal yet I think if you go by what he most recently said which is probably the fair one to go by rather than a year ago for reasons discussed it's more likely that he is going to voice some scepticism whether he thinks that section 35 is the exact right response but that again is going to expose a split within the Labour Party Tricky all around. Um, Kate, Labour today probably wants to talk more about the economic news that's come out. So Tell us the, about these new uh, Labour latest, market figures. Uh, labour market stats are out from the Office for National Statistics, and we see that unemployment in the UK has risen again, up to 3.7%, and that's up roughly 0.2% on the quarter. Really small change, and still at a very low headline rate there. And this is maybe counterintuitive, but perhaps actually in the right direction. I mean, that doesn't sound right. You know, we want unemployment to go up. Of course we don't. But what you can see in the data today is that while the unemployment figure has risen slightly, the number of people who are classified as economically inactive, so that would be working age people who just aren't looking for work, aren't working, aren't intending to work, that figure has dropped slightly. So really what's being reflected in this data isn't some kind of mass firing epidemic, but rather the fact that people who weren't looking for work are now roughly, I think, 55,000 of them over the past few months are now registering that they are looking for work. Exactly. Um, so they're so counted in counted the unemployment, unemployment figures. That number has raised slightly. But that's good news because, as we also saw this morning, job vacancies, while not at a record high, are still well over a million and still hovering around record highs compared you know, to the average. Uh, we desperately need those workers to come back into the labor market. We need them to fill those vacancies. The labor market remains very tight. So long as that's the case, inflation is going to be higher than it otherwise would be with that, you know, huge demand, limited supply when it comes to services in particular. But so I, I think actually that the real negative news um, was wages uh, in, in which we saw that average wages um, fell by roughly 2.6% on the year in real terms in that quarter. And that's because actually average wages in the public and private sector are rising quite significantly, but inflation is still higher than that. So people are taking home bigger paychecks. Employers are are responding on average to people's requests for more pay, but inflation is still so high that people feel worse off. Mm. And Katie, one of the problems, you know, Kate talked about responsive employers. One of the problems is that the government doesn't seem to be a responsive employer because there's a massive gap between public sector pay rises, which is at 3.3%, and private sector, which is at 7.2%. So tell us about the latest with the strike situation. Yes, so the, so the government's strike problem is getting worse if you just if you judge it purely on industrial action. You now have uh, yesterday uh, one of the large teachers unions voting to strike. This looks like it's going to, I think, estimated to affect over twenty thousand schools to go and strike on seven days across February and March. And so this will be the largest group of public sector workers to do so. And interesting, there was some polling out by YouGov which found that on this a majority of the public, but only. But a narrow majority, that's 51% back teacher strikes. So 
I think we so far have seen the most public support for nurses. It looks mm. as though right now teachers have a majority, but obviously it's very it's very tight there. And what does this mean for the government? I think one of the things you've seen from the government, I think, is partly helped by the, just the fact the country hasn't been working for a while. Is you know how much do you actually notice some strikes? Of course, the strikes in the health service have been a, a huge worry for, ve- for many reasons. But you look, you know, for some of the reports about border control when the army were drafted in and so forth. But with a teacher strike, I mean, this is something where. It might not be that all the schools have to completely close because actually head teachers, there was a vote on that, and head teachers have not voted to strike. But you're still going to have a situation where obviously mass disruption for the economy, in a sense, parents have to stay at home and look after their kids mm. if, if they can't find um, appropriate childcare. So I think this is one of the ones where it does have a bigger knock-on effect that's going to be really hard for the government and to say, oh, I you know, this is business as usual. when you think about the terrible impact of the school closures for the better part of two years during COVID and what that meant for kids. I mean, there's been so much lost education I think that's going to to really bite as well the fact that they're talking about bringing back some of the COVID protocols maybe they'll do Zoom classrooms on those days instead it's just going to remind parents I think about the lost education that's already taken place And finally, as we have been recording, we're hearing that Grant Shapps has apologised to Boris Johnson for a picture that he released last week in which Boris Johnson had previously been in a picture but had been quite shoddily airbrushed out. Katie, what happened there? Someone had to actively go to the effort of airbrushing Boris Johnson out of this picture of the airfield. He was completely removed from the picture, so yes. And obviously, because there's been a different Prime Minister by that point, I think some wondered if it was actually... Oh, want to look loyal to Rishi Sunak or not to bring up you know, the ghost like of Boris it. Johnson past. I mean, that would have been even extra. But yeah, Grant Chaps has now apologised in the House of Commons to Boris Johnson for this. He said he <laughs> inadvertently airbrushed him from that photo. Um, I think he jokes that his team got confused when he told them Johnson needed his hair brushing. So it must have taken him a few days to come up with that one. Politics is a brutal business. You know, one day you're in and the next day you're airbrushed out. They're... Imagine they're from a parliamentary research. <laughs> oh, he says hairbrush, not airbrush. That's right. <laughs> anyway, on that, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Katie. And actually, if you are listening to this podcast, if you're a fan of us, and if you'd be interested in working with The Spectator, with the wonderful team who work on the podcast, we are looking for a new research producer. So if you can think you can get your head around topics on everything from energy to the strikes to employment figures and you would like to do a little bit of broadcasting on the side and well maybe I'm not sure (laughs) I I don't know if our talents extend that far (laughs) but please check out this vacancy it's really exciting go to spectator.co.uk forward slash research producer 